It's great to be worshiping together today. It's good, isn't it? And we had uh, several different ages and generations on the staff. That was awesome. Well, today is our Beach Baptism Sunday, and this afternoon we'll be at Honeymoon Island. This morning, we're going to give you a chance to respond to Christ. At the end of the message, we'll give you a chance also as well to go out to the guest services and sign up for, for baptism as well. So we're going to talk about that this morning. And I know many of you have been baptized, but I want to help you explain this so well. I want to help all of us today to understand why God wants you to be baptized and why this is a really important. So I, I actually needed seven helpers today. And so would you welcome these helpers or give it up for these helpers today? I told them, I said, you're going to have to do this twice. And you need to pay attention and act like you're really interested, even second service. So they haven't heard the sermon either, so it's fresh for them as well. But um, are any of you about, I think you're close to, are you 20? You're 20? Maddie's 20? How old are you? I'm 20. You're 20? Oh, good. Okay, two 20-year-olds. All right. I am, I am 20 years old sitting in a systematic theology class in, in college. Going to be a preacher. And we're discussing modes of baptism. We're discussing how people are baptized. We're talking about the Baptists. Any Baptists in the room? Raise your hand if you're a Baptist. Come on, don't be shy. That's, a, that's not a bad thing. Raise your hand. It's a good thing, all right? We're talking about how the Catholics do it. Any Catholics in the room? Come on, raise your hand. Half of the church is Catholic. Come on, raise your hand high. We're talking about the Methodists. Anybody Methodist background? You're, you're the sprinklers. So we're talking about... We're, we're talking about all that in, in church, in, in a class. And, and I, asked, I asked the professor this question. I said, can you explain to me why all of a sudden in the New Testament, people are getting baptized, but we don't read about baptism in the Old Testament. We don't see it in the OT. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist comes on the scene and, and like he says, come to the Jordan River and everybody comes to Jordan River. Can you explain to me how that happened? Now, I'm, not a, I'm a first-generation preacher. I was a good heathen when God called me in Indiana to preach the gospel. And so I don't have generations of theology in my history, my background. And everybody in the class just looked at me like I was dumber than a box of rocks. But nobody could explain it. And they just went on. And so 40 years later, I think I have an answer. And 40 years later, I think I totally understand how all this fits with the entire Bible. Because it's funny. Baptism did not begin with John the Baptist. Baptism did not begin in the New Testament. In fact, baptism began all the way back in this guy named Noah. Does he look like Noah? He's an old man, all right? <laughs> Jeff, Jeff's been around for a long time. Baptism actually began with Noah. And so what I want to do today is I want to show you Noah. I want to show you Moses. I want to show you as well uh, Jonah. Okay, so just hold them up. We're going to talk about John the Baptist. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about Paul. And we're going to talk about Peter. Now, why are we doing all this? Because it dawned on me, baptism in the Bible is not chronological, it is theological. It's really difficult to understand. 
We usually pick out one verse, one piece of scripture, and talk about Christian baptism, and that's fine. Today, I'm attempting something that's taken me 40 years to understand. So if you don't get all of it, don't worry about it. That's what I'm trying to say. If you're brand new to church and you got lost and you just came in or you're, you, know, you, you lost the bet or she's cute or whatever reason why you're here today, if you get 20% of this, I'm happy with that. You don't have to get all this. But for many of you in the room, you're going to see comprehensively how this all fits together. And so again, I'm in college, then I go to graduate school, then I'm starting to preach in Memphis, and I'm asking myself these questions. Why in the world, all right, you can put your signs down except for you. Why in the world, and then I need Peter to raise his sign as well. Peter, okay, raise your sign, Peter. Hold on to Noah. Why in the world in the New Testament does Peter, who's thousands and thousands of years, about 3,500 years from Noah, why does Peter start with Noah? Why does he do that? And then why in the world does Paul talk about Moses? And why does John the Baptist and Jesus make all these references to Jonah? So that's what I want to do this morning. And what I want you to see today is Christian baptism. Okay, y'all can put them all down. Thank you. It actually starts with Noah, and Noah had eight people were saved. And what Peter does in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, Peter says, to those who were disobedient long ago, God waited patiently in the days of Noah. Why is Peter mentioning Noah while the ark was being built? In it, only a few people, eight, eight, eight people were saved. Eight people were saved through the water. Eight people were saved in the water. And what does Peter do? Peter mentions that story that took place 3,500 years later. In fact, the very next verse from Peter says, this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Not the removal of the dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus. I'm a young pastor. I'm trying to figure out why in the world Peter is referencing Noah about eight people being saved. And then I began to realize God's called all of us today in the New Testament to be priests. But he started off with these insufficient priests. He started off with these priests who were incomplete. He started off with these priests who really couldn't save that very many people. In fact, only eight people could be saved through this priest who was totally, sorry, bro, had lots of issues, okay? Lots of issues. I'm not meaning anything personal. I'm talking about Noah now. He was an incomplete priest. And then we see this about Moses. Okay, put those down. Moses, and now let's go to Paul. Why does Paul make a reference to Moses? Why does Paul talk about they were all baptized under the cloud? You see, the water saved and the water killed. The water saved. Moses takes his staff. He raises the staff. The army's behind him. The Red Sea's in front of him. He raises his staff. The water's part. The water saved. But also the water took life. When he put his staff back down, the water comes back over the Egyptian army. And so Paul then, have Paul up. We got Paul up? All right, we got, okay, Josh, you got Paul, can't see it. All right, we got, that's Paul, okay. (laughs) Thank you guys, all right, just be patient. All right, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 
Paul makes a reference to Moses with baptism. I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into... What? What has Moses got to do with baptism? They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and into the sea. And so here we have now these different priests who were incomplete. This guy, Noah, could only save eight. And now we have another insufficient priest, another incomplete priest named Moses. And now this is the Jewish nation. Now a nation is going to be saved. And they're all baptized, what? Under the cloud. That's the presence of God. That's where God went. It's a veiled reference to the fact that now there's a nation that gets to be baptized. Incredible story. Then we come to Jonah. And now Jonah doesn't represent eight people with an incomplete priest. He doesn't represent a Jewish nation with an incomplete priest. Now Jonah represents every Gentile who ever lived upon the face of the earth. Jonah is told to go to the city of Nineveh, which is the most heathen city in Syria. There were 120,000 people in that city. That doesn't sound real big to us today. But you got to realize the world population was not 9 billion people. This was a huge city, and it would take Jonah three days to go through this city and to preach to everybody. So you know the story. God tells Jonah to go. Jonah says, I'm not going. I'm going to rebel. I'm going to resist. I'm going to go the opposite direction. And so he gets on a ship, goes on a boat. And of course, there's a storm. And he has to then repent. And God breaks Jonah. God breaks him to repentance. And God causes him now to repent. And basically, and again, again keep, keep in mind, the water kills and the water saves. This is now a casket with gills on, so to speak. He's now in a watery grave, and he's forced of all times to have total repentance. And so what do we do? With Jonah, then we have this incredible story in Matthew chapter 12. And this is what Jesus says. Listen to this. So now let's come to Jesus. Jesus and Jonah. Yep. Matthew chapter 12. And some of the Pharisees, And teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered, and a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of what? The prophet Jonah. Or as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now someone greater something greater. Now we've got a priest. Now we've got a high priest. Now we've got a high priest who's not insufficient, not a high priest who's going to sin like Noah or like Moses or like Jonah. Now we have a high priest who's coming into this world, and it's foreshadowing Jesus Christ, the preaching of Jonah. And so we have John the Baptist now. And John the Baptist went into the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The last prophet that Jesus referenced was Jonah. The prophet now that John the Baptist links the New Testament movement to is now the prophet Jonah. Don't miss this. Here's the point. Jesus and John are now drawing back to the prophet Jonah. 
Because the prophet Jonah would go to the heathens. The prophet Jonah would go to a world, to a city that nobody thought was redeemable. The prophet Jonah would offer the gift of salvation to all these people that, that the Jewish nation just knew God was going to condemn and God was going to kill. This is the amazing story. The story of the prophet of Jonah and the people of Nineveh is you and me. It's the fact that God called us out of darkness. It's the fact that God plucked us out of our sin and out of all of our immaturity and all of our resistance and all of our rebellion. We are just like the people of Nineveh and we have this offer of salvation and there's the preaching of the repentance. And so he says, repent. So here's what he says in, where am I? John, Luke 3. He went into the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's what John did. John is preaching now a baptism of repentance. Where did baptism come from? Came from Noah. Came from Moses. It came from Jonah. The water kills and the water gives life. And when you and I get baptized, we are saying to everybody, we are saying to the whole world, we are dying to ourselves. It's really an identity marker. Here's what happens with Jesus. So in John chapter 1, verses 24 through 25, the Pharisees who had been sent questioning him asked John, why do you baptize if you're not the Messiah? Why do you baptize if you're not Elijah? Why do you baptize, John, if you're not the prophet? And John said, look, I baptize with water. And so water became a ceremonial cleansing. Water became something that in this intertestamental time, so again, if you're new to church, don't worry about this, but there's like 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Between the last prophets and the new prophet John, there's 400 years of silence. And it's in this period where they began daily cleansings. In fact, archaeologists have dug up more than 200 of these. We call them jacuzzis. We call them hot tubs. They probably wouldn't appreciate that description, but that's about the size of them. And there's over 200 of these, and they began daily cleansings and daily washings during this period of time. And so in John chapter 1, it says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one. You don't even know who it is. And so at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Why? Why was Jesus baptized? Because it was an identity marker. He was identifying with the fact that now this was to fulfill all righteousness that every one of us would have to make a public declaration. You see, at the end of our services often, I say to you, if you want to give your life to Jesus, say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I've done that many times. And it's personal. It's inside. It's in your heart. It's what takes place within you. Christian baptism, however, is not personal. It's public. You giving your life to Christ, you repenting, you saying, I want to, I want to follow Jesus. I'm making a decision to believe. I'm making a decision to place my faith. I'm making a decision to place my life. That's hugely personal, but not Christian baptism. It's widely public. It's outrageously public. You can't strut into the water. You humbly go into the water. 
You can't come out of the waters of Christian baptism being cocky and thinking, oh, great. You come out of the waters of Christian baptism wet, looking like a drowned river rat. It's a humbling experience, isn't it? You see, it's incredibly public. Well, why does the identity marker work? I love one more story I want to share with Christian baptism is this. It says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, said to him, teacher, I'm sorry, we're, we're Jesus, all right, you can put them down, we're just a Jesus. This is a story that talks about baptism that I bet you've never thought about before. Listen to this. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Well, we want you to let one of us sit at your right and the other sit at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, said Jesus. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized? What? Or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And what Jesus is saying to James and John is this. I'm about to suffer. I'm about to take on the sins of the world. I'm about to have every form of, of humanity that's wrong heaped upon me. John, James and John, you don't get this. Now Jesus is referring to baptism as his suffering, as his death. You see, James and John, I'm not a, a priest who can only save eight people. I, I'm not a priest who can only save a nation. I, I, I am the priest who can save all people all the people who come into this world. I am that priest. And so he says, he uses the reference to baptism to James and John saying, look, I am about to suffer like you've never suffered before. I am the great high priest. And so I have absolutely no problem publicly identifying with the great high priest. I am honored that I get to be baptized into the greatest event in all of history. The greatest event in all of history was Jesus Christ going to a cross for you and for me. Jesus Christ shedding his blood at Calvary so that all the people, Jews and Gentiles, could enter into this kingdom of God. James and John, you can't be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. There's no way you qualify for that. Oh, you're going to suffer, but you're not going to suffer for the same reasons that I am. And so it's an identity marker. If you really want to know what Christian baptism is, okay, thank you. You can put that one down. It's an identity marker. It is you identifying with him. It is you identifying with the greatest event in all of history. So in Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, it's now Paul who says this. Paul's over here. Paul says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were, we were baptized into his death. And so you have to die in order to live you have to die. This is completely an upside-down kingdom. For you to go forward 
you have to lay down your life. And here's the symbolism. The symbolism is that Jesus Christ died for you, Jesus Christ was buried, and Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again. And that's what you enter into. You enter into this identity. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so we too may live a new life. So that we too may live a new life. We can argue all day long, is it sprinkling? Is it a lot of water? Is it a little water? We can argue all day long, is it once or twice, or is it as an infant? We can argue all day long, is it in the church, or is it, we can do all that and get all confused. But what I want you to see is the great high priest is asking you to join his team. And the great high priest is saying to you, well, you put on my uniform. It's like a kid getting drafted to play for the Rays or the Yankees or the Bucks or the Lightning. And, and the first thing they do is what? They come out and they put on the jersey. They put the jersey on and it says, I'm on the team now. And that's what the king of the world is inviting you to do. He's inviting you to be a part of his team. I, I'm not arguing with people over little water, lots of water, this. I, I, I'm done with all that. The king of the universe is saying, will you join my team? And then what happens is, you get filled with his presence. You get filled with his Holy Spirit. And everything on the inside then begins to change. And it begins to change you and transform you. I wish it was overnight. I wish it was instantaneous, but it hasn't been for me. It's been a long journey. Okay? It's hard. But Christ in you is the hope of glory. And so what begins to happen then is you really become a New Testament priest. We've taken that word and we have a word picture in our mind and it's not usually the right word for priest. But the, the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and chapter 2 that we're a royal priesthood. We're a royal priesthood. Revelation chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 5 says that we're to be priests and kings forever. And so he's inviting you to enter into his kingdom. And so I'm 20 years old. I'm right here. I'm right where you girls are, okay? Although you're probably a whole lot smarter than I was at 20, okay? I'm 20 years old. And I'm asking myself all these questions. And I wanted to see how it all fit together. And I, I kind of walked away thinking it didn't fit together. And then I began to realize, no, it does fit together. Because Peter says, remember Noah? Remember how the water saved eight people? Well, that was good. That was good. But there's something better. 
And 1 Peter 3.21 says, This water now, baptism now saves you, not the removal of the dirt from the flesh, not a bath, but the pledge of a good conscience. And what he's saying is, is that Christian baptism is now a public outward expression of an inward desire, an inward passion that takes place within your heart. He says, remember, they were just like Moses. They were all baptized under the cloud. Under the cloud? What are you talking about, Paul? Oh, yeah, remember? I was leading my people to the promised land. Remember, they were getting ready to cross over the Jordan River. Remember, they were getting ready to go into something they'd never had before. They would be my people. And remember, the preaching of Jonah. Jonah, first of all, had to repent himself and his own repentance then gave him a broken heart to call the people of Nineveh to repent. And so John the Baptist comes on the scene. And he starts baptizing people in the Jordan River, a baptism of repentance, which means change, turn, turn around, think differently. And then Jesus gets baptized. And then we see Paul and Peter just reinforcing this. this. And again, some of you are raised in churches that call it sacraments. Whatever you want to call it, it's your perk. It's your opportunity. It's your amazing privilege. And so this afternoon, I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to go out to the guest service desk right now and go sign up. You can go online or go on the app, but let's do this today. Make a decision to join the team publicly today. I, I, I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I, I'm not saying any of that. I, I'm just saying baptism was for you to publicly address the fact that the world will know that you're a Christian. If Jesus told me to stand on my head for three minutes right now, I'd do it. He doesn't tell me to do something silly and something foolish and something crazy. He tells me to do something that helps me. I go get baptized. I identify with the greatest event in history. I die to myself. I bury all my junk and I rise and walk to a brand new life. One thing I've noticed that Jesus does is he always, 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 always has my best interest in mind and your best interest in mind. So I, I'm trying to explain what's called systematic theology. It's incredibly interesting to me. Maybe I'm the only one in the room that likes it. Okay, it could be. But to me, it's so intimate when you see how all this just weaves and connects together. And so we're encouraging you, step one, Jesus, I give my life to you. So I'm gonna ask you to stand with me right now. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, that's what you need to do. I can't think of a better thing for you to do at this moment. Jesus, I give my life to you. Jesus, I repent of my sins. I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess that I can't save myself. I confess that I need the great high priest. 
That's step one. Step two, publicly declare that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Go sign up. We'll see you this afternoon for beach baptisms. And uh, if it rains a little bit, just hang out. It always quits. It always quits. You're the king, eternal, immortal, invisible. You are the only true God. And we worship you today. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you.